0: Good morning. morning.
1: (laughs) Morning.
0: Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Judy Myers and I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the officiant today. Welcome to everyone for our multimedia platform. Whether you're here in the Zoom room, Uh, I'm I'm sorry, sorry. hall, hall, this one would (laughs) be the hall, (laughs) watching on Zoom or catching the recording later. We are one community unified across time and space as we gather to affirm our shared values and commit to a better world.
2: If you're on Zoom,
0: please check the chat for a welcome and various tips from Paul Baker, today's Zoom chat usher. Visitors, If you're here in person, please stop by the welcome table after platform today to speak to a greeter or to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. Those of you visiting online online now or later, we invite you to send an email to Maceo at maceo at ethicalsociety.org or Maceo T. Thank you macyot at ethicalsociety.org, or to fill out a connection form, which you can find at tiny.cc slash westconnects. I'll now take a look and read a few of the greetings that folks have written in the chat. Online friends, while I'm doing that, you might want to get a candle to light during our candle lighting. So let us see what we have
1: there
0: we go. Oh, we got all kinds of good mornings is beautiful. So let me uh, do, do, oh, we've got people coming in. This is so exciting. And um, Paul welcomes people. Paul doing our um, chat, Zoom chat usher. Michelle says good morning. Laura Descuglio says good morning. Amy Foltz, good morning. Donna Taylor, good morning, Paul and everybody. Shayla says good morning. Great party last night. Yay! Good seeing a lot of people. And uh, we will have a, uh, some information later on about how things went financially last night, very exciting. Cynthia Goodman says, good morning all. Patty Absher, hello all. Barbara Nathanson, good morning. Boy, everybody, we must have gotten enough sleep. JD says, JD's our speaker, by the way.
2: JD says, good morning everyone, it's great to be here and we are happy to have you here
0: as well. Uh, Candace says, hi. I'm sure hello to all West people. And Sue Smith says good morning all. JD says today has 25 hours, yay. Ed Elder, good morning all. Sue J, good morning to everyone. It was good seeing some of you last night. Absolutely, it was very nice. Uh, Mark E says, good morning to all. Leah, Leah Morris says, greetings from across the pond. Yay, this is wonderful, we love technology. Um, folks, will we usually love technology, it's a little spooky sometimes, but um, anyway. Um, when doing chat, be sure and set your settings to everyone so everybody can see. All right, let us. It is good to connect and to share this time together. (sighs) Opening words this morning are from Chuck Palahniuk. The first step, especially for young people with energy and drive and talent, but not money, the first step to controlling your world is to control your culture to model and demonstrate the kind of world you demand to live in, to write the books, make the music, shoot the films, paint the art.
1: I am so pleased that we can once again
0: welcome musical guests to perform in person here at West. Yay! And today I'm happy to introduce local musicians ilyemi Ilyemi?
1: yes perfect (laughs) perfect
3: thank you
4: figuring out how to deal with the world is a big part of being a songwriter so thank you very much for making us think this is a song about realizing that the only way to control your response to People's hatred is understanding that often that's just coming from a place of fear. That's about as optimistic as I get, though.
5: Dangerous flight from a dangerous guy who's made your point. And your anger keeps winning with violent ends come from violent living. And I don't think this one is wrapping up happy. I'm writing it quick and it I'm keeping it true. And I do better at my songs with positive and incline. Thinking this one more for me than for you. I don't hate you, I just hurt you. I don't hate you, I just hurt I don't hate you, I just hurt I don't hate you, I just hurt to the sea Pull the hold a strap a tighter stone against how that my is like this i know it can't work i don't hate you but everything hurts
0: Much. That oh, was wonderful. Welcome once again. Each week we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. Reading the statement of purpose is a wonderful way for you to participate in our Sunday mornings together. I invite you to sign up to read the statement at tiny.cc slash readsop. There are plenty of open slots, so I encourage you to consider taking a turn. This morning, our reader will be Perry Bider. And Perry is gonna come up to the mic.
2: The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic
6: congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders.
0: Thank you so much, Perry. As Perry lights our community <clears throat> candle, um, I invite those of you to, with candles at home to light yours and for everyone to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you, Perry. This morning, today's speaker, J.D. Stillwater,
7: has a personal story for us. J.D. Good morning, everybody. It's really great to be here this morning. Um, And uh, my story is about my name. People often ask me, you know, what kind of name is Stillwater? Is that Native American or sounds English? Or, you know, they make up all kinds of things. And the truth is, maybe both more and less interesting than any of that. Raise your hand if your name has changed since you were born. If you don't have your birth name at this point, I can't see you, but I'm assuming there are at least a few people. Well, I think it's really important for all of us to affirm that your name is something that's really intimate to you. You can't, um, there, there are a few things that are more intimate than a name. So one thing I like to tell people of all ages, but especially young people is that your name is yours to keep or to change. Whatever name feels right for you is your name and the rest of us should honor that. So the story about my own name is uh, when I was born, I was John Dewey. And uh, it's interesting that I changed it because I'm I'm an educator, a career educator. And uh, John Dewey, as you know, is a pretty major name in education. But when it came time for Anne and I to get married, um, we we wanted a name, mostly me, but she as well, wanted a name that would sort of um, encapsulate the family that we were trying to create, that would have a little bit of meaning. Um, we weren't enthusiastic about hyphenating. Um, uh, she was more interested in keeping her name than I was in, in keeping my own. Um, And so we spent a lot of time trying to think of names that had some meaning that would work for us. And we we went through, I should be honest here and say, I went through a lot of draft names, most of which she said, nope, nope, (laughs) because they were too hippy dippy, too, you know, too meaningful. Or um, uh, there were a lot of reasons, Um, but it took us quite a while. And we ended up with Stillwater. And um, it has really settled in. It's been many years now, 36 years, I think, that we've both been JD and Ann Stillwater. And um, so it's just our name at this point. But I have to tell you that my father's father, who you'll hear about a little later in the platform, was very unhappy about me changing my name. Um, So... I affirm that your name is your own and you should make it your own and make it the name that you want it to be. But I also am aware that doing so involves a little bit of defiance. Changing your name is not, even now, is not something that our society is really enthusiastically condoning. But you should do it anyway, if it feels right for you. So that's my time for all ages this morning. And I hope, I hope all of you feel great about the name that you have. And if you don't, that you do something about that. Thanks for letting me share.
0: Let us enter now into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm especially mindful of the unquestioned aspects of our American culture, and working to question them rigorously. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our
1: love.
7: Breathe with me. Sitting quietly, just being, just breathing is enough. Quiet contemplation can be a defiant act in a world that demands constant achievement. Let us simply sit together listening with deep stillness to a world in constant motion. We continue our meditation in the silence and the music that follows.
5: mm
0: words are from Terence McKenna. We have to create culture. Don't watch TV. Don't read magazines. Don't even listen to NPR. Create your own roadshow. The nexus of space and time, where you are now, is the most immediate sector of your universe. And if you're worrying about Michael Jackson or Bill Clinton or somebody else, then you're disempowered. You're giving it all away to icons, icons, which are maintained by an electronic media so that you want to dress like X or have lips like Y. This is shit brain, this kind of thinking. That is all cultural diversion. And what is real is you and your friends and your associations, your highs, your orgasms, your hopes, your plans, your fears. And we are told no. We're unimportant. We're peripheral. Get a degree. Get a job. Get a this. Get a that. And then you're a player. You don't even want to play in that game. You want to reclaim your mind and get it out of the hands of the cultural engineers who want to turn you into a half-baked moron consuming all this trash that's being manufactured out of the bones of a dying world. Our speaker this morning is J.D. Stillwater. J.D. is a Cornell-educated science ambassador who writes and speaks about profound insights from natural reality, insights that drive paradigm shifts, and cultural awakening. He is active in several international organizations, including the Institute on Religion in an Age of Science the Religious Naturalist Association and Unitarian Universalism, JD walked from Los Angeles to Washington DC on the Great Peace March for Global Nuclear Disarmament and then Leningrad to Moscow in the Soviet Union. He is a 25 year veteran of K through 12 science education and is married since 1987 with two grown children. JD,
7: Good morning everybody, it's great to be here. So I started working on this topic around Father's Day, so I was thinking about ancestors and descendants, grandparents and grandchildren, and I have to tell you, at some point during the last year or so, it became clear to Anne and me that grandchildren are probably not in our future, and for me this brought some real sadness. I'm not a pronatalist. I've been really careful never to pressure or even encourage our kids to have children of their own. It's just not my decision. I want them to make it either way for themselves. And, you know, more people is just not what the world needs right now. But I see you, grandparents. I know what I'm going to be missing. And it makes me kind of sad. I also know intellectually that what truly matters in this world isn't my grandchildren anyway, but the grandchildren. Humanity's in a precarious place right now, as I'm sure you're aware, one where it's no longer possible to protect my grandchildren if I had some, unless and until we repair the world for all the grandchildren. This is my mom with her two great-grandchildren Only one of them is a genetic descendant of hers. Can you tell which? No, you cannot. And if for even a moment you thought you could, well, think about that. Our brains have habits. And those habits come from somewhere, right? That's what I want to talk about this morning. This is my mom's father, my grandfather. He was a good man and a product of his time. He believed deep in his bones that German people are the best. And he kept this detailed hierarchy of ethnicities and racial groups somewhere in his head. I don't actually know how long his ancestors were in North America, but I'm pretty sure they were mostly German. And that's that's just part of my heritage. On the other side, my father's father was a genealogist. So I know that his ancestors were on this continent for a pretty long time. For example, I'm related to the Admiral Dewey, who is known as the hero of Manila Bay for defeating the Spanish Armada during the Spanish-American War. And as I said before, grandpa was pretty unhappy that I changed my name when we got married. I understand it's gonna be harder for genealogists when people do that. All that to say my American heritage from his side goes pretty far back on this continent. My American heritage. Hmm. Every summer on July 4th, most Americans celebrate the victory of plucky pioneer forefathers over the well-regimented armies of an oppressive monarch, a victory which today we celebrate by blowing stuff up. (laughs) I happen to really love fireworks, even knowing that they are a reenactment of exactly what's happening in Ukraine right now. Fireworks are a beautiful and inspiring way that we, in our culture, glorify what is inherently evil. I can't reconcile these things. And I still love fireworks. I shot this video that you're seeing of the grand finale, I should pronounce that right, Le grand finale in uh, Carcassonne, France on uh, Bastille Day a few years ago, from about a mile away. So they really do fireworks for Bastille Day, pretty impressive. In 2008, I took a test of implicit bias and discovered that in spite of all my sincere and enlightened efforts at treating people the same, my subconscious mind, along with lots of other people, holds a stubborn bias against people of color. And ever since then, I've been looking more critically, even more critically than I did before, at my own heritage, especially its origins. Where did white culture come from? And how did we get here? Well, after reading this book, I have an answer, or at least a pretty strong clue. I think the origins of my American heritage are rooted in trauma. We know that families that have endured trauma are more prone to addiction, abuse, neglect, and other kinds of family dysfunctions. I loved the first song that uh, Iliami did this morning. So perfect for what I'm talking about today. Families, dysfunctional families often have an unspoken code of conduct. It says, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, don't remember. Don't talk about the dysfunctions. Don't trust anyone because traumatized people are unpredictable and violent. Don't feel your feelings because they don't matter. And you'll be punished if you try to express them within the family or outside the family. And then don't remember anything that would undermine that happy family facade because everyone else is just going to deny it anyway. Disney got it right with their movie contact. This is a family rooted in trauma. We don't talk about Bruno. We work and we fight and we sulk and we take, but we don't talk, we don't trust or feel or remember. When nations are rooted in trauma, the same code applies. We get racial hierarchies. We give violence as the only imaginable means of security. We get damaging patriarchies and the kind of shallow nationalism that requires us to forget our own history. This manifests as a social culture that idealizes selfishness and consumerism, neglect of community, and this really weird obsession with bootstraps. So what's all this trauma I keep talking about? I think I missed a slide somewhere in here. There's the bootstraps. So trauma, like what kind of trauma am I referring to here? Well, just imagine what it was like to live in Europe during the Middle Ages. Brutal, ongoing oppression with routine torture, wars, famines, plagues, cruel punishments that would be trauma-inducing for us to even imagine today. Think about just the toll the pandemic has taken on our mental health, And then just in the last couple of years, and then multiply that by constant war and famine and torture, and then make it last for a thousand years, 50 generations. That's what my ancestors endured during the Middle Ages. But by the time the Renaissance came around, they were so severely damaged, they didn't even know it. And they called it civilization. Did you know that until about 1800, a really common form of summertime entertainment in Europe and here in its colonies was cat burnings? Entire villages would turn out. They'd fill a sack with cats and then burn them alive over a bonfire for the sheer hilarity of it. If that's not mental illness, we were damaged, traumatized, mentally ill. At this point, you've probably seen or heard this word. It's likely related to how medieval trauma could affect me today. So I wanna talk a little bit about it. Epigenetics is a fairly new pioneering branch of molecular genetics, and it's only really been around since the 1990s. So in school, you probably learned about how genes are encoded by DNA, and how those gene blueprints determine all your physical features and a few mental and emotional ones as well. But that's not the whole story. Our genes come with packaging. For decades, we thought, scientists thought that packaging that, that packaging was inert and that it had no role in our development. But it turns out it plays a fairly active role in regulating gene expression. So those genes coded by the DNA can get turned on or off or they're more or less active in each cell based on the packaging. And that packaging can be inherited. That's called epigenetic inheritance because your genes, the DNA itself doesn't change, at least not in this process, but its activity can be changed in a way that is passed on. So what's this got to do with trauma? Well, the, the really seminal experiment on this was just done in about 20, it was, it was in 2013. And the experimenters exposed mice to a chemical called acetophenone, which smells like cherry blossoms, just for a few seconds. So they they got a whiff of this, and then while they're getting this whiff, the researchers gave them some painless, or I'm sorry, harmless, but painful shocks to the, the mice's feet. And they did this five times, with shock, with shock, five times in one day. And then the next day, five more times, and again the third day. That's it, 15 times total. And then they let the mice just live out their lives, including mating and having babies. So when the baby mice were all grown, they then exposed them to that same smell. And the baby mice and well, they're adults now, but they're the first offspring. They immediately became anxious. Their heart rate and blood pressure rose and their behavior was that of panic. A whole generation later, further on, the grandchild mice reacted the same way to the smell of cherry blossoms. So they ran the experiment again, but this time they isolated the babies from the parents at birth, same thing. They used in vitro fertilization and surrogate mothers, same thing. And these were just harmless shocks over three days. This result was so surprising and it's so relevant to who we are, or could be, could be so relevant, but the field has just exploded. There are now thousands of studies, just, just in the last few years, on epigenetically inherited effects of trauma. Now it's not simple or clear-cut, there are lots of factors. And not all traumas and not all stimuli show up as dramatically as this cherry blossom smell does and and what happened in this experiment. But the concept is really solidifying in the scientific community. It's real. And it suggests that some of our human gut reactions, including ones we don't really like about ourselves, may have been programmed before we were born epigenetically. So I predict that you will see this phrase again. It's entering the popular vocabulary as we speak. You may have seen it sometime already. So the connection that Resma Menneken makes in his book is that our modern global culture, specifically Euro-American culture, is rooted in the trauma of medieval Europe. That trauma informed and shaped my Euro-American heritage. And it allowed my ancestors to brutalize and exploit indigenous people everywhere they went, initiating a self-repeating cycle of intergenerational trauma and dysfunction that continues today. That trauma and dysfunction is transmitted directly through abuse and exploitation of each other as adults, but also of children. But then it is also transmitted epigenetically and culturally so, the effect is that it's deeply embedded in our bodies and our minds, our emotional responses. It's encoded in our language and in our religious traditions. Explains a lot, doesn't it? So, what do we do now? Knowing that all of us are affected by this, how do we honor the grandchildren? Well, I think we have to carefully examine and, yes, defy our own cultural heritage. Raise your hand if the extreme consumerism around Christmas bothers you. That's what I thought. Now, keep your hand up if you're still participating in it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. We have to pay attention. I, I say, I think, that we have to pay attention to those nagging feelings and follow them to a new way of being American, a new way of celebrating winter holidays. And that's an act of defiance. It's also an act of love. I think we have to break the rules that we inherited from our dysfunctional families and culture. We have to talk about uncomfortable subjects. We have to trust our neighbors and people that we reflexively regard as the other. We have to feel our feelings and honor them, try to find out what are they trying to tell us. And I think we have to remember the foolish and evil stuff in our heritage, along with the glorious triumphs. There are glorious triumphs and their celebration will be so much more meaningful if we remember honestly and authentically the missteps and the errors and the downright awfulness that taught us to reach for those glorious triumphs. Remembering it all requires a kind of defiance that's rooted in love for the grandchildren. We have to love ourselves when our culture keeps telling us our value is measured by our work and our possessions and what our bodies look like. Talk about an act of defiance. There's a local artist here in Harrisburg named Julia Mallory. She's the founder of Black Mermaids, BlackMermaids.com, I think. She's amazing. And I I recommend wholeheartedly that you look into her work, Julia Mallory, Black Mermaids, and support it if you can. But Juneteenth this year, she handed out a sheet of affirmation, she a sheet of affirmations that she created that address some of this cultural stuff very directly. Uh, someone there in the hall should have copies of them um, as a handout, so make sure you get a copy of that before you leave this morning. But I want to just run through them because they're so apropos. I honor my ancestors and myself by resisting relentless productivity. Talk about defiance. Any other workaholics in here? If my only value is in what I accomplish, then accomplishment is all that matters. But come on, family matters. Relationships matter. Inspiration, vulnerability, play, rest. These these are all important. I honor my ancestors and myself by listening to my body when it tells me it needs rest. Resting is defiant in a culture where rest equals lazy. It's just not true. I honor my ancestors and myself by making space for joy in my life. Do we even know what joy is in our culture? I'm not talking about happiness here. Joy. When's the last time you felt joy? Actually making space for it goes against the grain. It's a kind of love and it's defiant. I honor my ancestors and myself by making space for pleasure in my life. We do this, I think, but it's often a kind of shallow sort of pleasure and we often feel a little guilty about it afterwards, right? I honor my ancestors and myself by realizing that others' limited imagination should have no impact on my life. This relates to the name thing, changing your name. Raise your hand if you have told a young artist or musician that they should probably have a backup plan. I know I have. Why do I think my cynicism should have any bearing at all on their art career? It's their life, they'll figure it out. I honor my ancestors and myself by recognizing care as a personal community and political act so important to our humanity but you know the pay kind of sucks i honor my ancestors and myself by going where the love is by being where the love is well we're all here this morning so maybe we're doing okay on those two but i'll bet we could each do a better job of expressing that love hmm? I honor my ancestors and myself by acknowledging that I am already enough, it's radical. By tending to the earth and respecting its natural cycles, we got a long way to go. By caring for the youngest and the oldest amongst us, our relentless productivity makes it easier to pay someone else poorly to do this caring. I honor my ancestors and myself by acknowledging that grief work is also freedom work. We don't talk about death. (laughs) Birth, you know, we go on and on about birth weight and labor and anesthesia and the breathing and the three stages and the gender reveal, oh, the gender reveal, and the tiny little fingers. We don't do that for death. Let's talk about death and let's grieve in community, vulnerably for as long as it takes. I honor my ancestors and myself by understanding what my work is and doing it. Now, I don't think Julia is talking about the work we trade for money here. She's talking about this inner work of cultural growth and healing and the outer work of bending the arc towards justice. What is my work? Am I doing it? I honor my ancestors and myself by remembering the past, by taking up space in the present and building the future. Now, I have to tell you, Julia Mallory is black and these affirmations were not written for people like me, meaning old cisgender white men. Old cis white guys always take up space. I'm doing it right now, right? And everyone else is acculturating to expect us to. So I grayed out that middle part on this last affirmation slide, because if you're an old cis white guy like me, you should cross that part out. You're probably good on that one. If you're not old cisgender, white or male, then you deserve to take and occupy your share of cultural space for the grandchildren defiantly. Fellow old cis white guys, will you support and encourage them in taking up cultural space here at WES? I can't see you, but I hope there are a lot of affirmative somethings there in the hall. I trust it. Julia's affirmations are all about defiant self-care and community awareness, taking care of one another, which is precisely what's needed, research says to soothe and resolve decontextualized trauma. I'm a rank beginner at this, but there are some exercises we can do too. Resma's book has a lot of them in there. They're right in the book and uh, they're designed to free our bodies from unresolved trauma, or at least make a beginning down that road. So I urge the West community to consider pursuing that work if you're not already, starting with um, Resma Menneken's book. But other things that we think might help include things like yoga, meditation, 12-step programs, Sufi and folk dancing, massage like deep tissue body work, and other kinds kinds of deep body work. I only have glimmers of what my deep ancestors went through, but I'm aware that almost every immigrant to this continent came here as a refugee from some kind of trauma, religious persecution, famine, extreme poverty, war, genocide, or enslavement. Native Americans are refugees from all of those traumas, but they were inflicted on them in their own country. So it's in all of us. The most recent science we have says that our ancestors' trauma to some extent lives on in our bodies, our minds, our culture, and our spirits. This is part of our heritage. For those of you who've been holding your breath this entire time trying to figure out what is going on in this picture, I'll tell you, sort of. One of these kids is a genetic descendant of my mom and the other is the child of the same-sex marriage of my mom's grandchild. And no, there is no way to tell from the photo which is which. And the point is that to my mom, It makes no difference whatsoever. These are her great-grandchildren, full stop. And I have to point out that in spite of those adorable bow ties, you don't know these kids' genders either. No one does. You won't know until they tell us. As it turns out, there are a few small hints of a possibility that there might someday be grandchildren for Anne and me, but I'm not gonna hold my breath. Because there are millions of grandchildren out there for me to love. But I think to do that in good conscience, I have to do my best to strive not to pass on the unresolved trauma that comes with my American heritage. And to do that, I have to defy that heritage with love for love. I have work to do. We have work to do. Let's do it together. May it be so. Thanks for inviting me this morning.
0: Thank you, JD. It's an awful lot to think about. Thank you again. In a few minutes, we will have our community sharing time when you can write into the chat or share in person here about what resonated with you in this platform. While we listen to today's musical response, you might prepare by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that the platform brings to mind
3: Thank you all so much for having us today. Um, I particularly enjoyed these types of gigs because I, I am a firm believer that the unexamined life is not only boring, uh, it's dangerous. Um, we are not just the legacy of our parentage. Uh, we are also the composite of all the stories we have ever taken in, be that the books you read as a child, the movies you watched, Um, It is interesting to go back to those things as an adult, and figure out the ways they've laid groundwork in you, and sometimes that groundwork needs to be revised. Um, This song is the conjunction of two of my most favorite stories as a child, Um, one being the never-ending story, and the other one being the secret of Nim. Which is oddly appropriate to this particular conversation since The Secret of Nim was based on an idea that they, in real life, gave rats a utopia and wanted to see what would happen. And in their boredom and their
2: frustration and restlessness, they
3: destroyed it. Um, The movies, however, are children's movies. In the Neverending Story, they send a child, not to an enemy, but to an oracle.
1: The oracle is a
3: set of giant stone women that shoot lasers out of their eyes at children. In The Secret of nim, the story is much the same. They send their hero, a mouse, not to an enemy, but to an oracle, and the oracle is an owl. You do not need to be a zoologist to understand the inherent peril. So the message that I received as a child is that in your most desperate hour, the source of the greatest power to help you might also kill you, and that power seems to always be in our minds the conjunction of great and terrible, of fear and awe, which is an extremely uncomfortable relationship to power.
5: Oh, <laughs>
0: or what resonates with our personal experience. For our online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you're watching the recording later. If you are here in person, you can come to the microphone here on the floor. Uh, Reminder to please keep your comments brief so that others can also have an opportunity to share. The beauties of in-person gathering is the opportunity to chat later with each other. So let me start by reading some initial Zoom comments and uh, let us see. Um, As um, a note, there are copies here in the hall of the um, sheet that uh, JD referred to. And there is a link in the Zoom chat that will let you um, access that as well as other materials um, at blackmermaids.com. So, Messio says Nicodemus, as a kid, I never considered him a threat to Mrs. Frisbee and them. Oh, innocence. <laughs> Um, And J.D. says, I think I am now a fan of the
1: band.
0: (laughs) I don't think he's the only one. Um, So, we will come back to Zoom to see later um, if there is additional information. So, you're in the hall. Um, please begin by saying your name and if you'd like to share your pronouns, and please keep your comments relatively brief so others have a chance to share.
2: Okay. Good morning, uh, Mike, he, him. Um, first, uh, thank you to the band, that was fantastic. Um, and, and J.D., thank you. Um, Uh, I have so many different thoughts that that, kind of came to mind during this platform at all. I'm trying to it narrow and brief, uh, though I tend to be fairly long-winded, and I apologize. (laughs) However, um, one one thing that that really struck a chord with me was um, the idea of, obviously, uh, intergenerational trauma being passed down, not just through um, epigenetics, which I remember learning about very briefly in college and forgot about, but um, the idea of Uh, kind of storytelling and and reliving our parents' problems, etc. My son, uh, many of you may know, is Native American. Um, He has a lot of mental health issues. Um, And when we were going through adoption and foster care with him uh, back in North Dakota a long time ago, um, we went to a seminar put on by, I believe it was the, the, the Casey Institute, Which is uh, specialized in Native American child issues uh, around the country. And one thing that the speaker there said, which has really stuck with me for years, is there's an old Native um, sort of tradition, if you will, or uh, maxim that traumas, significant traumas, take seven generations to heal. Um, In many cases, I think it's probably a lot longer than that, but certainly the idea of seven generations is overwhelming in terms of time, in my mind, um, and that uh, we are very definitely living through those traumas of hundreds of years ago, um, and we're still trying to work those out in our personal lives and our cultural lives. So, Thank you again.
8: Sonia, my pronouns are she and her. Um, There were a lot of amazing things about this platform, but one of the things that I always find hard to relate to is when people talk about work, paid work, as if it's a bad thing. Um, And, you know, talk about like the balance between paid work and other kinds of labor as being sort of out of whack in our society. And I think that the reason why this is so hard for me, I mean, there are many reasons why this is hard, but one of the reasons why this is so hard for me is one of privilege, um, which I share with many of you looking out here in the room in that um, many of us, have a lot of choices about where we work, what kind of work we do under you know, how many hours a week we work, all those kinds of things, which a lot of other people don't really have a lot of choice about. And so whenever I listen to like criticism of work or the anti-work movement and all of that, I have to remember that it's not really about me at all.
2: Hi, Abby Dakin, she, her.
9: JD, um, your talk made me think about many different things, um, but the first thing that came up was, um, I come from a family of um, Eastern European Jews mostly, so obviously a trauma history there. Um, but in our, our specific family, speaking of not talking about it, I was a teenager. I might even have been in college by the time before I found out that my grandfather's father died by suicide. And um, not in a way that was quiet and neat for the other members of the family, the survivors of that. And so um, it was not a thing that we talked about. It was very interesting to, to hear that. And as a parent, I have to say that Thinking about decontextualized epigenetic trauma is very helpful for me because, of course, it lets me feel like, well, maybe I didn't exactly do something wrong. <laughs> maybe my, my work is just to uh, see trauma and, and try to be helpful and not worry quite so much about what I did to cause it. And then lastly, Absolutely. a shout out to the tech team for their very smooth transitions in this relatively difficult platform.
1: Yeah.
6: I'm Bill Wilson and, and uh, my pronouns are he and him.
1: And when I say things like that,
6: I wonder how much of that is entangled in this, the stories and the culture and all that it springs from the trauma of all of our history.
2: So I feel like I can't even say something without generating,
6: oh my gosh, I have questions about this and why I'm using that. But I, um, what this prompted me to think about and return to is this question of how do, we, how do we recognize the fact that so much of our culture and the way we behave
2: is derived from
6: a whole history of culture that's that 's that's, um, um, that's, that's, um, generated out of trauma that just goes way back, and I, you know I, I, I think of people in the most recent past just having awful lives to live through and choices and death around the corner, um, so I, I think part of what I would like advice is is how do we find contentment in our life when we recognize that my oh, gosh, 95% of it springs out of a way of living that's shaped by tremendous trauma. Um, what do we do? And somewhat related about the stories we tell ourselves um, and how embedded it is, and and, and how it, and how when you're thinking about this, it pops up. I, I just started trying to find time to read, and I just pull things off my book, off my shelf, rather. And I'm, um, I picked up this year old book King author legends and I'm like, oh this is interesting and I start reading it and I'm and I'm confronted with this story of this of you know this this king author that arrives at a time when there's just um, disarray all kinds of awful things going on and he's the savior he's got these magical powers and really comes in and I'm thinking about this we're reading the story and suddenly I'm I'm thinking about the superheroes, and all I start thinking, and then I start thinking about the authoritarian tendencies in our culture, and I'm wondering if these stories that, uh, that you know that our kids are raised on and I've been raised on have, have mm-hmm. set up a framework by which people begin to look for some sort of authoritarian leader to get them out of a jam. Mm. I don't know what think. Right. Of-
5: <laughs>
0: Thank you. Oh goodness, yes, so many things to think about. Um, I'm gonna take a quick look and see the additional comments and zoom, and um, uh, there are a couple of things. Um, Cynthia Goodman says, fascinating platform, so relevant to today's world with so much trauma and in need of so much healing. Thank you, JD. Mark Mayer says, please invite the band back,
5: they rock.
0: Yes. Patty Absher-Shaler's epigenetics is a new concept for me, thanks to JD for bringing his thinking to us and how it might affect our own lives and that of our children and grands. Karen Storm says, my maternal grandmother was terrified of water and kept my mom away from it. My mom was also afraid of it, but learned to swim as an adult and made sure I had lessons when I was little. I still have more fear of water than most of my friends, but I have always felt that somehow that fear was dissipating through the generations. Interesting talk. Cynthia Goodman says, I also, also, I can see the intergenerational trauma in myself from the experiences of my family as Jews in Europe during World War II. Uh, Vivek um, uh, reiterates, bravo, tech team. Yes, tech team doing a wonderful job. So. Goodness. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, we're sharing half of the offering with Casa Brumar Foundation, their dedication is to bridge the gap that leaves the LGBTQ plus community behind when it comes to equality that is equitable in education, social services, and human dignity in the Commonwealth of Virginia and in Prince William County. Casa Brumar Foundation's charitable purposes are to provide a physical meeting space and community social services to at-risk and disadvantaged individuals experiencing homelessness, abandonment, and cruelty, especially members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, or LGBTQ community. Among Casa Brumar Foundation's educational purposes are the encouragement and support of members of the LGBTQ community in their academic endeavors as they heal and rebuild after traumatic life changing experiences. Let us take a moment to prepare for the invitation to generosity, and for those of you who are able to respond, we offer several options. As noted on the screen, the number to give by text is 202-335-1885, and you can donate online via tiny.cc westgives, or by clicking on give at ethicalsociety.org, you can place cash or a check in the basket at the back of the room uh, in the hall on your way out, and you can always send a check by US mail. Thank you for your generosity, and we will now receive your gifts and the gift of music.
3: Stand up.
4: Give me a rainy day song. Thank you to Leah for the generosity of joining us today, allowing us to come and play for you today. Leah is an old friend uh, and was one of the inspirations for me to pick up guitar in 95, 96. She came to my college and blew my freaking mind. Here I am you yeah.
0: Wow, Iliémi, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together, staff members Ndara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Maceo Thomas, and Tom Hutton, Interim Music Coordinator, Leah Morris, and our invited guests, Me. Tech team members, Denise Howell, John Pfeiffer, and Joseph Via slide artists John and Abby Dakin, Zoom-usher Paul Baker, in-person greeters Alex Abbott and Susan Runner, virtual coffee hour host Adam Goldberg. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour in person around the foyer and on the patio um, or for virtual coffee hour via Zoom. First though, I want to mention a couple of things upcoming in the life of our community. Uh, WES's Sunday Ethical Action for Kids or SEEK program is beginning or has begun, but there are currently three cohorts, pre-K to fifth grade, sixth to eighth grade in the high school teen group until more volunteers who do not have to be parents are recruited to allow the program to expand. We really are um, looking for folks to help Um, play a role in the village that helps raise Wes's young people. You can email Ndara at NdaraM at ethicalsociety.org, N-D-A-R-A-M at ethicalsociety.org, and it is a great way to be involved in the community. Uh, Brief uh, PSA from Perry Biter and the Chorus, it is a new month and in a minute you'll hear the new closing song. Uh, Leah Morris has a new song of the month, and if you'd like to hear it before everyone else, well, too late, so sorry, but you can, we will uh, make the link available so that people maybe can hear it. Anyway, um, yeah, never mind. (laughs) All right, however, um, Emily Newman, however, does have some um, news about last night's event, the auction, she's going to let us know um, the wonders of how we did.
10: Hi, I'm Emily, she her. Um thank you again to everybody who attended either in person or online. We had about 200 items and raised over $27,000. Um to give you a little perspective, that is more than we made in 2020 and more than we made in 2019. So we are coming back um, please make sure that you pick up all of your items. I'll be in the library later today. Um, we also um, request you pick it up on either Sunday, uh, November 13th or the 20th. We want to make sure everyone has their winnings um, right away. We will send out the invoice um, that each person has. Um, if you don't remember what you won uh, or what you paid for um, in the Autria, um, Profile. You have. Um, you can find. Your, you can click at on um, the bottom where it mentions total, and that will give you your statement. Um, and we'll be coordinating for all those people that have. Um, like events and stuff with other people. Um, And then lastly, as you heard during last night, we had a long list of recognitions. Um, Not only were there a lot of people involved in making the event successful, but some of those people had multiple roles. And so in order to keep the auction successful. We need to make sure that we keep fulfilling those roles. Um, please email me if you have any questions about what I'm talking about or are interested in doing more, but um, in general, that includes um, gathering items, um, preparing the food, um, uh, doing promotions, doing, um, supporting child care, and all the day of activity. Thank you.
0: Yay. Okay. Very exciting. Okay. That's it for today's announcements. I know mean, we've gone very long today. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of good things, though. Um, as always, you can find information about the opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails and on the calendar page at Wes's website. Um, If you've been wanting to come in person to platform, we're no longer requesting advance reservations to attend in person. So if you decide on the spur of the moment that you must be here, please come. Uh, Those of you who are already here know that there's now just a brief check-in process at the door, and of course we will continue to have multimedia platforms. So attending can mean tuning in on Zoom, too. Thank you all for being here, being part of Platform today, and I invite you to join in our closing song for the month, "Changes."
4: I thought we were introducing the song. I guess did, did you leak it? Something like "Changes" by Ziggy Marley. Um, Leah made some changes to the lyrics, and uh, you know, it is her way that she brings a little of extra humanity to things. Um, you mentioned a number of times of. You know the incredible wonder of the fact that we're doing this via zoom as well and you know our tech team back there um most of us are of this fortunate generation where we're not so old that we don't get it when it's put in front of us and yet that we're young enough that we realize this is magic and uh, to think of how powerful it is that leah can be joining us in germany or whatever else is stunning um anywho that's neither here nor there Here's your song. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, let's do that.
0: Few last reminders before we leave. If you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, uh, and introduce yourself. And to reach Virtual Coffee Hour, point your browser to tiny.cc westcoffeehour West um, Coffee Hour. Maceo is also here in person if you would like to meet with him. And now, I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go out into the week ahead with courage, understanding, and we and honoring the fullness of one another in our quest for a better world. Thank you again for joining in today's platform, and we look forward to connecting with you again
5: soon. Thank you.